Right? Do you want to learn what it takes to create a writing career? Then tune in and take notes because on Simply Write, we talk about the writer's craft and the qualities and quirks of living a writer's life. Let's go. Hello and welcome to Simply Write with Polly. I'm Polly and this is the podcast where we talk about the writing craft and crafting a writer's life. Now, if you're a rule follower, a career as a professional writer might just run you over (laughs) because there are a ton of so-called rules and some will say a right way of doing things. You must outline or you must not outline or you've got to send a pitch just like this and you've got to follow up just like this or you've got to send the agent form or send a direct letter. There are tons of things to keep in mind when you're creating, researching, pitching your work. There's a ton of so-called rules, and I like rules. I like the structure. I'm a rule follower, firstborn, played by the rules, right? But here's the thing with writing. You can do it however you want to do it, right? You, You need to know some of the rules to be more effective. But when it comes down to the writing process, I think it's important to know yours and do it your way, to experiment and find the rhythms and routine that help you create the best work. And by the best, I mean the work, the process, the structure that allows you to get the writing out on the page, revised and ready for release. There are lots of rules to follow, But here's what you'll find after a few days in the profession. Everybody does it differently. And if you're a professional and you're courteous and you're knowledgeable, you can find a way that will work for you. Process is personal. But if you're like me, you might try a few different things until things get a little easier. And then my process changes with my lifestyle. My daughter's out of school and all those things. It's a shifting thing. Same with pitching an article idea, same with writing a book proposal. When I was early on in my career, I followed all the rules. I needed to know what they are. I needed to know what the structure was because I didn't know what I was doing. I was learning as I went. And like anything, once you know what the rules are, then you can modify the ones that make sense for you. I don't throw them all out. I still follow the guidelines because I found it to be more effective. When an agent or editor tells you how they want to receive a pitch or the kind of information they want to see, that's what they want to see. And it has served me to follow those guidelines. But What one editor wants is completely different than what another editor wants. The kind of proposal uh, one of my publishers wanted is different from the proposal the other wanted. So I've really found that having a great awareness about how the profession works and the writing process, how to create good writing, has helped me then to adapt and flow with the changing circumstances. And that means changing some of the rules along the way. Having said all that, I do think there are some key things to avoid, both in the business of publishing and in the writing. No matter what you are writing, your work will become better if you avoid the things we're going to talk about today. And ultimately, that's the bottom line, right? We want to make good work. Some of them fly in the face of the rules you've heard. uh, So you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them, you know, know when to walk away. By the way, I can play 
the melody very slowly on the ukulele to the gambler. So there you go. That's my one claim to fame. In today's show, we're going to talk about five things that I think is worth avoiding in your writing and your writing practice. We're going to get into it after the dailies. Today is feeling like a crazy day for me because I have many things scheduled and that means my day is looking and feeling really broken up. I don't like that, right? I like it. I tend to focus better. I think we all do when we can sit down and have a block of time to really work, especially writing. And I do have some writing I need to get done today. Um, but I also have a physical therapy appointment and we are going to be heading out of town for a few days. So I'm finishing some last minute uh, client deadlines and organizing for the week when I return and uh, recording this podcast and just lots of little loose threads. Now, the one great thing about working as a full-time professional writer is you get to be in charge of your schedule. I have the freedom to decide how and when I work, right? What assignments I take and so forth. And that is a huge privilege. That is super important to me. I think that kind of autonomy is one of my top priorities. So that part works really great. But the downside is whenever you take time off, there's no one here to do the work and you're not making any money. So I'm meeting the deadlines and setting project ideas out before I leave so that I come back to something to do, right? So that I have deadlines and, and assignments so that I could get paid. Um, lots of loose ends to tie up before you leave on vacation. And that's what I'm working on today. All right, today we're talking the writer's rules. I mean, there are so many. Every book you read, every professional writer you talk to is going to have a different take on things. The bottom line is that you find the process and use the techniques and strategies that help you create the best work, help you get the work done, help you get it out there in the world and published, right? But I do think it, the root of all this is to create good writing. And it helps me to understand what that is. I think you have to know the techniques and strategies that make the writing better. This is where the craft comes in. And so today we're going to talk about some real basic rules that no matter what your process is, no matter the kind of stuff you're writing, these are things I think you need to keep in mind. Now, does that mean I sit down and start a new draft of something and I'm thinking about all these things? No. I think a lot of these come up in the revision. Now, after all these years, a lot of these are coming naturally because after you repeat a technique over and over, right, the craft over and over, you become familiar and, and it becomes more intuitive. But the reality is this is the kind of stuff I edit out of my work also. These are the kind of things I go through when I'm revising and I'll take them out because my initial draft is all about getting the story out there, just throwing up the information I have and refining the focus and the structure so I know what I'm doing. And then when I'm deep into the revision, or even earlier in the revision, these are the kind of things that I'm talking about today that I will look at and take out and, uh, and move away. And I think you need to know what they are to be attuned to them. I have a, a revision worksheet. I know another couple of writers who do the same, just so they're clued in, so they remember to check for these things, everything. All right. These are the things to avoid in your writing. And there are more than these things, but these are the basics that I really go to first. One is avoid sentences that are too long or too short or all the same length. When we are crafting a piece of work, you want 
to develop some kind of tone and voice. And you want solid pacing. You want the story to move along. Sentence structure, sentence length really goes to that pacing. If all your sentences are too short, bump, 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 that creates a certain tone and rhythm that after a while becomes mundane and monotone for the reader. If sentences are all too long and flowery, it's too much to take in and the descriptions can be lost or overwhelming to the writer. Short sentences can build tension, but so can long sentences. The point is to mix them up, to know what to put where, to know when to use three short sentences in a row for repetition, for rhythm, for pacing, and then mix it up with something that's longer. And the same is true for chapters. I write fairly short chapters, and then every once in a while, I'll put a longer one in when the information merits that. Uh, because I think it creates a rhythm and a pacing that uh, attracts the reader. When we are used to seeing things the same way, hearing that rhythm in our head, that voice in our head, and the readers are more likely to scan over things, right? To skim. And, and you've probably done this as a reader. I know I have. When I open a book and there's tons of long sentences loaded with description, I skim that. I want the rhythm and the change. It's easier for my mind to digest. It's easier for my imagination to enjoy. So avoid sentences that are all the same length. What does that mean? That means mix it up. Look at the structure. Play with the rhythm of the writing. And uh, varied sentence length can help you do that. All right, the next thing to avoid in your writing is fancy words that don't fit the character or the scene or the tone or the story. And again, these are things that I usually do inadvertently at places in my first draft or second draft or even third draft. But if you're using fancy words to feel smart or because you think the language is going to be beautiful for the reader, but it's incongruent with the scene you're creating or the character or the tone of the story, take it out. Know who you're writing for. Know the, envision the person you want reading your book, fiction or nonfiction, or your article. Who is the reader? How do they talk? And then also take a look at the work you're creating. I don't believe in dumbing down your material. You'll hear that sometimes when you're writing for a magazine or a newspaper that say, you know, write to the eighth grade level. I hate that. I think our readers are smart and they will figure out the uh, truth of the story and the importance of the story and the information in the story based on context and, and uh, structure. I don't believe in dumbing down your material, but I do think your material needs to be consistent with the story you're telling and the audience you know is going to be reading the story. If you want to publish, you must write to the readers of the market. The articles I wrote for magazine and the the pieces I'm writing in fiction all involve tone and point of view, information, structure, language, and they differ significantly depending on the publication I'm writing for or talking to and the type of story I'm telling. When I wrote for Fire Chief Magazine, those articles had different language and different structures than when I wrote stories for Family Circle. Then when I'm writing thriller stories now in fiction, 
know who your audience is, the editors and the readers of the genre, of the piece, of the magazine, and choose your language and the way you express them accordingly. If you are writing about a super intelligent character in fiction or nonfiction, in nonfiction especially, then use the words they use in their quotes. The quotes need to be something they said, you know, and they need to be attributed to them. If you're writing a character who is from a country where English is not their first language, then in your fiction book, you need to include the language they would use in that fiction. If you're writing uh, for somebody who's extremely intelligent and that's part of the characterization in your fiction, they better sound like that. And that might mean using fancy words on the page. But in my life, not all those characters in my life talk like that, right? I don't talk like that. So it needs to be reflective of the character. These people, these writers that come in and say, well, yeah, omit this and don't do this and avoid cliches. All that makes sense in the context of your story. But if you are writing a character who talks in cliches, that better be reflective at times in your story because that goes to characterization and pacing and, again, the point of view. Same can be said for cliches and adverbs and the details you choose. Lots of rules out there saying to avoid cliches and adverbs. And I sure don't think you need to use many. Even if your character talks in cliches, you don't want to overwhelm the reader because it just gets trite after a while, right? But you need to have some reflection of that characterization, of that character's speech patterns, I think. And the same is true for adverbs. But I also don't think you need to avoid all these things altogether. The key comes down to this. The rule for me is this. Know what you're writing. Know who you're writing it for. And understand your characters and the story you're telling. And then use these techniques and words deliberately. Make a decision that goes to character and point of view and scene and those other aspects of writing. Be deliberate in your decision. Just don't throw them in. Know exactly why you're using them and then uh, be discerning when you do. The third thing I think you can avoid in all writing, and um, this will make your writing better. And, And listen, this is a rocket science, right? The things I'm sharing today are little rules that we can easily do with attention to our writing, and they'll make your writing a whole lot better. So the third thing to avoid is vague or repetitive or redundant or weak words and phrases. Uh, Some examples like unexpected surprise. Hello, aren't all surprises unexpected? Really, that's redundant language. It's boring language. It doesn't carry the weight of anything, an unexpected surprise. Um, Or if you're talking about something like an expensive house, don't tell me the house is expensive. Describe the characteristics of the house instead. Talk about the art on the walls or the super plush carpet or the silk sheets, whatever it is, because my definition of expensive as the reader might be different than your definition. How we think of uh, vague words like expensive is... um, changes depending on the people we are and where we grew up and our own experience of our lives and our stories, right? Same with words like nice. What does she was nice even mean? What does nice mean? How I define nice is differently than how you may see it. And you need to be specific as a storyteller. So your readers 
know what's going on so they can get inside the character's mind so they can understand the issue you're writing about. So if a character is nice, show me what nice looks like to that character, to you as the writer. Show me that each week she drops a casserole off at her sick neighbor's house on the way to church. Show me that she stays late and takes an extra shift at work for the employee who's dealing with a sick kid. Instead of the expensive house, show me that the house is in a gated community or has a guard station and a gold toilet, right? Get specific. And the way to do that is to look for all these weak words and phrases, these vague sentences, and get specific. Avoid too many adverbs. We touched on it before. And the way to do that is really to get specific there too. Like, don't put an adverb that she ran quickly, right? Say she sprinted. Or be specific with the verbs you choose, and that'll help eliminate some of those vague and weak patterns of writing. All right, I got a couple of more things that I look to avoid every time I sit down and write and revise. I'm going to share the two last ones. One I think will surprise you when we come back on Simply Write with Polly, part of the Creators Network on Electricast. And we are back. I'm Polly, and you're listening to Simply Write with Polly. This is the podcast creators network of Electricast. And today we are talking about the things I think you should avoid in your writing practice. Now, as we talked about at the top of the show, everybody has writing rules, and there are clear ways to improve your writing craft and technique. Uh, but I also think it's important to learn the rules to support you, to make your writing better, and then be discerning in when you apply them or not. There is a time to break the rules. Right before we went to break, I was talking about the cliches, right? You know, it's a good idea to avoid cliches and adverts to some degree, but it also goes to character and scene setting and at times dialogue. If that's how your character talks, if that's part of the characterization, it might be time to break some of those rules. The point is to know what they are, the things you can instantly do to improve your writing, and then be discerning in how to apply them. So one of the things we talked about already is to avoid sentences that are all one length, too long or too short. Vary those sentence lengths for impact and pacing. Avoid fancy words that don't fit the character or the scene or the tone of the story or the readers you're writing for. I don't believe in dumbing down your material, but if you want to publish, you need to know who you want reading that book or that article and write to them and also be true to your character. If your character is kind of a uh, rich snob, she might speak differently than if she grew up in a fishing village in the Northwest, right? People talk according to their experience and their background and their family and their their story of origin. So keep that in mind for your characters. They should use the language that's appropriate for them. And we talked about avoiding vague or repetitive or redundant weak words or phrases. Don't tell me someone is nice. Show me how he's nice. Don't tell me you know, the house was expensive. Show me the qualities of the house, at least a few details that indicate that house was expensive. Same with if she's running fast or he's being mean or she's stressed out, 
What does that stress look like in her body? Does she feel a heart beating faster? Or is she yelling at her kids? What does that look like? Get specific to avoid the vague and repetitive or redundant weak words. Now, the last two things that I think are essential rules that will make your writing better don't have anything to do with what you put on the page. It has everything to do with how you think about what you're putting on your page and your process. The fourth thing I think all writers need to avoid is comparison and expectation. Now, I've had some success in the nonfiction realm, publishing books and articles and podcasts over the years, and I've worked hard to get that. And by success, I mean I've made a living from it, right? That's how I, I that was my degree of success. I have a great life, I'm living the life I want, and I'm making income uh, that I need to support my family. Um, when I began working in fiction, I didn't expect to be great at it, but I also didn't expect to be so bad at it initially, right? There's really some aspects of it that I've struggled with. The reality is writing is a craft and an art. It's also about persistence and mindset. We get better with practice, but each time we sit down to the desk to create something, if we're sitting there with the expectation that this is going to be a bestseller or that we expect it not to be good at all. If we begin comparing ourselves to those people who have uh, written fantastic books and we sit there and say, oh, there's no way I'm going to make it. I can't write like she can. Then you're not going to get very good stuff on the page. You might even be blocked from doing it, right? Because while we can always write, if you're not feeling like what you're writing has merit or is meaningful or can be improved, What's the point? It's hard to get anything up. That can stifle our process. It's interesting and fun and good for your writing and for you to try a lot of different forms, to try experimenting with different genres. But if you're going to do that, no, you probably won't be very good at it. Go easy on yourself. If you are a stylist known for cutting straight hair, you've got to learn how to work with curly hair, right? If you are used to litigating uh, in the business courts, you might have to study up on family law to handle estate planning before you serve your client. Every profession has their unique niches, and those niches and styles require a different form of knowledge and experience and education. Writing is no different. Don't compare yourself at whatever level you're starting at now to someone who's getting the big 10 book deal and has written 70 novels. Don't compare yourself where you're starting now to someone who's publishing regularly in The New Yorker. These are not the same and the comparison will not serve you. It doesn't mean they're better or worse than you. It means they are capitalizing on a different form of experience and development and talent and craft and practice. Your job is to sit down and write. And when you do that, you will get better at it. So share in the success of other, I mean, here's the deal. One form of comparison I've done is, is the kind where I read work maybe that isn't my style or preference or that I think maybe isn't as good. Then I'll compare myself and I'll say, hey, if they got published, if somebody like that got something published like this, then there's a possibility for me, <laughs> right? Well, if that ends up in print, but there's so much that goes into publishing that the minute we start to compare and expect certain things, good or bad from our work, 
we're going to be disappointed. It just doesn't happen like that. The thing we can control is the writing, is our learning, is our practice, is our growth. So the best thing you can do is sit down and do the work. If you want to compare anything, look at the writing you did five years ago and compare it to what you're doing now. I bet you'll see a lot of growth, but there's no useful incentive to look about, look at what others are doing and use it as a form of expectation for what you should be doing. The best you can do for yourself is do the work and steer away from those things. And if anything at all, celebrate the success of others, but stop the comparison. It's only going to hurt you and, um, and get in your way. All right. The fifth thing goes to mindset also, and that is stop beating yourself up. You are going to get rejected. If you want to publish your work, you're going to write crappy stuff. You're going to feel sick. You're going to hate writing. You're going to think you can never write again. You're going to feel miserable. And you're going to be upset and feel like you're never going to make it. I have felt this way after every book I've ever published. Oh, that's the last one. I've got nothing left. Don't know how to do it. I've also felt that with everything I've ever started writing. Like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I mean, it's just a matter of time before they find out that I don't know what I'm doing, right? A few weeks ago, I talked about imposter syndrome. That might be worthwhile going back for a listen because we all feel like that from one time or another, that it's just a matter of time that they find out we suck and we don't know what we're doing. But playing that song over and over in your head, filling yourself with that kind of self-doubt, beating yourself up every time you write something poorly or get rejected is going to do one thing. It's going to keep you from creating fluidly and creatively, and it's going to keep your imagination from flourishing. And all the things you need to be a writer, it's going to stifle you. It doesn't work. So if you fall into that trap where you're beating yourself up, try a little self-compassion. We know research-wise, thanks to Kristen Neff and some others, that self-compassion allows us to be more creative. And that doesn't mean giving yourself a blank slate. It means looking and saying, oh yeah, this didn't work out how I wanted it to work out. I'm going to take a look at the feedback. I'm going to look at what I could do differently next time. I'm going to learn for this and I'm going to try again and I can get better because I'm human and I can keep learning, right? And then move on, do the next thing. Take what you can from the rejection. And honestly, sometimes there's nothing valuable to take from a rejection. But other times an editor will give you good feedback and you can evaluate that and see what works for you and your work. And then let it go. Go for a run or take a shower. Do something else. Let your mind play over it, but be gentle with yourself. Nobody is motivated to create by harsh criticism by vague criticism. If somebody says, hey, I hate this, but they give you nothing to work with, that's not effective. That is not going to make your writing better. And it's, it's not even true. That person might not write your work. He may never read it. He may never buy your book. Okay. Others will if you do your job and keep learning and keep creating. So listen, take feedback with a grain of salt. Use what you can Coach yourself. If you care about publishing, if you care about writing, know that you are going to get your share of negative feedback, but make sure it's not coming from you. You will not be an effective writer. You will not improve as a writer if you're constantly beating yourself up. Instead, understand like, hey, I can learn from this. I can grow from this. I haven't figured it out yet, but I'll keep going. If you take in these five 
basic rules and thoughts, you're going to create a mindset and a strategy that is going to help make your writing better instantly. Now, are there other things to consider? Of course there are, right? It's a big fluid thing. But these five basics will help you start going in the right direction. And if I can do it, you can do it. These things are not that difficult to apply and they will make your writing better. And you know what that sound means? It's time for What's in the Dusk. And today, writers, I am holding my Traveler's Company brass fountain pen. This was gifted to me for my birthday. And it's about the size of my index finger, the length of my index finger, when it's all folded up. And then you pull off the brass end, you post it on the back, and you have a full-length fountain pen that's just tough and cool and uh, sturdy. I can throw it in my, my purse and drag it along with my notebook and it just looks so cool. I love the feel of it in my hand. And the nib is a fine nib. That's the only way they come. But it's a pretty wet nib. So it leaves a nice dark line. I, I have a black cartridge in it now. That's how they come. I suppose I could fill the cartridge. There's no converter for this pen, but I love it. It feels good in the hand and it makes me feel very writerly. So that's what's in the desk today. The Traveler's Company Brass Fountain Pen. Your assignment this week is to go through a piece of work that you're revising with these five points in mind, these five tips in mind, and see if there are things you can cross out or change, revise, change the sentence structure, alter word choice, and really work on your self-doubt. Sit there looking at the piece without comparison or expectation, just knowing you're going to take a word by word and make it better. All right, it's almost time for us all to get back to writing. We're going to wrap up the show now. Remember, if you want to join our Simply Write community, you can find it at simplywrite.subdoc.com so we can establish a community here to talk about my favorite thing, writing. And if you're listening to this, it's probably one of your favorite things too. I think a lot can be learned by community. I definitely want to hear from you. Let me know what rules you apply or forget about in your work. What makes your writing better? Learning our own process and what works for us is a essential part of this. But also, there are lots of ways to make the writing good. The only way of doing it, though, the only true rule is to sit down and write. And then remember the word of Somerset Mom, who says there are three rules for writing the novel. Unfortunately, no one knows what they are. Now sit down this week, writers, and simply write. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Pack podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. 
Electricast.